Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I've got Coach Nate Linzer with me today. Uh, Thanks for being here, Coach. I'm uh, excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Bailey. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind, just kind of give us some context. uh, What was growing up like for you um, at an early age? Yeah, so uh, born and raised in Cedar Falls, Iowa, uh, college town where, where the University of Northern Iowa um, is at. And uh, I was the youngest of, of three siblings, three, three older siblings. Uh, but, but, but those siblings were six, eight, and 10 years older. So in some ways felt uh, maybe as, a, as an only child or at least a, a very, very young child. Um, just really... Um, took to to love in sports at an early age uh, my parents both went to Iowa State and they had season tickets for for both football and then and then basketball and in the, the old big eight days you know even if Iowa State football wasn't very good it was still fun to watch you know Oklahoma Nebraska and some of those teams growing up um, and then uh, Iowa State basketball especially in the mid 80s um, the the Johnny Orr era uh, became kind of an exciting time. Once again, big eight basketball at the time, there was pretty fierce rivalries with Kansas and um, Missouri, Oklahoma um, on down the line. And, and I just um, took at an early age to, to just love in sports. I uh, participated in uh, baseball, basketball, football, and golf in high school. And uh, I always used to say my favorite season or, or sport was whatever season I was in. So um, I always loved basketball, uh, probably did that the, the closest thing to year round, but, but was participating in all the other sports. Ironically, probably the sport that I had, um, the least amount of success, at least at a young age was basketball. So I find it a little ironic that that's the, the sport that I've, I, I've stayed with as far as my coaching goes. But, um, like I said, just, just kind of loved all the sports and, you know, I was, a for me, I felt like a normal teenage kid growing up and the Michael Jordan era with the Bulls, Jim Abbott uh, was pitching uh, for the California Angels at the time. Uh, A little side story, I was born with one hand. So for me, you know, to see a major league baseball player with one hand, that was a, that was a pretty cool thing to watch there. And then, like I said, just kind of whatever season it was, um, just would follow. Uh, later went on to Iowa State. I thought I was going to be a manager with with Coach Tim Floyd on with the basketball team, and did that for a while. Uh, did it for a few months and, and started in the summertime. But in in Iowa, where I grew up, uh, high school baseball was actually in the summertime. So if you if you didn't have a very a great junior year, you wouldn't get a whole lot of college looks per se. So. Um, I batted 080 my sophomore year. I batted 289 my junior year, which is nothing to write home about. Um, but then hit 596 as a senior in high school. 
but I'd already kind of committed to be a, a manager for Coach Floyd on the Iowa State basketball team. So I did that for a few months, went to school there, but I just found out quickly that I missed competing. So that summer I kind of trained all summer and, and stopped being a manager and, um, and tried out for the Iowa State baseball team, didn't make it, got in a wooden bat league from that. And then two years later, um, I was actually asked to be on the Iowa State baseball team because of uh, one of the people that played in that wooden bat league I, I actually played against. So that was a cool deal for me, get to play at Iowa State, compete there, be a walk-on. But that was part of the last baseball team. They, they later cut the program literally a few weeks into my tenure there. So, But, but knew, like I said, I was going to get into coaching at a pretty early age. That was the intention of being a manager with Coach Floyd. So from there, that just kind of when, when that – baseball dream ended and the playing ended uh then i just kind of have gotten into coaching and and i'll be going into now my my 20th year of of coaching basketball and and have enjoyed kind of the, the ride from there yeah absolutely well there's a lot that you just talked about a lot to unpack but uh, just going back to competition real quick was competition something that you had with your siblings you said they were older but were they around to play sports against and was that something that you grew up with or what was that like you know not not with my siblings not at all to be honest with you um and even my parents were not like there was no level of pushing or honestly teaching or guidance anything past playing catch with my dad was that was about the limit of his athletic powers uh, so i did so my my competitiveness probably early happened with my peers at recess uh, I had a neighbor kid in front who was older than me, and we, we did everything. We played one-on-one -on -one football against each other. We played basketball in the driveway. Uh, I'd pitch to him. And, I mean, he was so much older than me. He, was, he had an older sister, but in a lot of ways, it was just he and I as, as single-type guys in the neighborhood. And, and I don't know what competition I provided for him because I was quite a bit younger. But for me, you know, I, I mean, my winning percentage – against him was probably 0.005, but, <laughs> but, but to my credit, I was, I was, I was never going to give up and, and, um, and, and it provided good competition for me. It was almost like a, like a older brother, you know, that was competing against you in a lot of ways. Um, so, so I've spent a lot of summer times and, and, and times with him. I also had a neighbor in the backyard as well, who, uh, his actually, his father, um, was a baseball player for Iowa state and spent a little time with him. And I know he was trying to instruct his two boys a lot of times. And I was just kind of the type that would maybe tag along and get whatever lessons I could at the same time. So I think that's, that's where a lot of the competitiveness or, or the, the, the just participation came from. And then from there, my mom, she was really big about just making sure I was well-rounded. Like she honestly, <laughs> she would let me do, whatever sport I wanted to do, but she would, would make sure that I did have balance. So if I was going to do baseball, I had to do cello. If I was going to do football, I was going to have to do tuba. If I was going to really? do whatever sport, she was going to put me also in the summertime in some sort of um, academic program as well. So she, she knew how to maybe use that, the athletic bug I had to, to make sure I still kept everything in balance, but, but there was never any, um, 
there was never any pressure, but yet there was also, there was never a, uh, a glass ceiling that was provided. And, and I think that was important for me because, um, you know, you're a parent, I'm a parent now. So you, you look through a different lens and to have a, a, a boy who's, who's grown up, who was born with a, a physical difference. Um, you know, you, there's no rule book for that. And there's no, there's no real teaching manual for it. You know, kids with two hands learn how to tie their shoes in kindergarten. There was no, you know, there's no, there's no way, there's no other model out there. You know, I don't know how you tie your hands with two hands. So I had to figure things out and my parents had to encourage me without, with, I'm sure having a plenty of questions along and they just allowed me to, um, you know, work through those things and make sure that they never uh, provided any glass ceilings. If, you know, I, I had an elementary PE teacher once, you know, saw me driven to do sports and, and he actually, and, and he, a great man, a great person, but I could sense him steering me at an early age to play soccer and run track. And to be honest with you, those two sports never have been on my radar because to me, I felt like that's what the, the one-armed kids should do is just do the leg sports. So I, I, I detest soccer. I, I, I've never, I have no interest in it. I've never from day one wanted to do it. And I've always said if I was going to play soccer, I'd play goalie because I wasn't going to take any shortcuts. And same with track. I was a fast player and athlete and all that but i just i felt like that was taking the easy road route out and you know looking back probably sometimes your greatest strengths your greatest weaknesses i probably should have ran track it probably <laughs> would have been good for me but in the same sense too you know i think that's what drove, drove me is i did not want to fit any sort of stereotype so the competitiveness to your question which we've kind of come full circle to was probably from within to make sure that I, I wasn't fitting the bill of being a stereotypical one-armed person. I wanted to come and I wanted to beat uh, anybody I went in contact with. And I strive to be the best because this, these were the tools in my tool box and I wanted to make the most of them. And I think that's what drove me each and every day. Yeah. And you know, I love how you talked about your parents not having a glass ceiling and yes, it is something that probably there's no, there's no handbook for, for doing all these different things, but just having the men mentality of kind of figuring it out and wanting to be the best at no matter what, no limitations uh, and going all in at those things. So you had supportive parents growing up that were, you know, helping you along the way, but also talk about the mentality. Every you talk about using all the tools in your toolbox, you know, you obviously didn't let um, maybe a limitation that others would see as a limitation affect you and what you wanted to go do. How did you develop that mentality and, and how did you continue to like keep going after the things that whatever was on your mind, on your heart to go do? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I, I just, you know, I, I hate the word handicap. I hate the word disability. Um, I just wasn't going to let this limit me. Uh, and I was just going to uh, figure out, you know, I knew there was things that I, that I could do well and there were things that I could do better than, than my peers. Uh, I probably knew what I wasn't very good at, but I never was going to let those things get in the way of what I could. And, and if it was something that was holding me back, then, then I was going to put, you know, full effort into, to, um, to making sure that wasn't going to inhibit me. You know, I used to joke too, though, that like, I'm, I'm probably more angry that I'm five foot 11 and three quarters and, 
my hand is small because I wanted to dunk. That was one of my main goals. And that had nothing to do whatsoever with having one hand or two hands. Uh-huh. But like to me, that, that probably um, frustrated me more, you know, give me, and I, and I was the, the typical throw it up and try and dunk it. Cause I couldn't palm it and I could grab the <laughs> all time level. But as far as putting it down, I was probably a couple inches away from that. So to be, you know, six, two, I think, uh, I mean, that would have been fun. That was a, that was a bigger goal than anything for me. And, uh, so I was more frustrated with that. I was more frustrated with, you know, hitting puberty in my junior year of high school, as opposed to some of my peers hitting in seventh or eighth grade, things that you have no control over that, you know, outside looking in, you're put, you know, you're, you, there are people that I know felt sorry for me or, you know, thought I was going to be, had, had their preconceived notions. Whereas the things I struggled with, it was, it was very rarely anything to do with my hand. It was some of those other um, things and issues. So, like I said, I just, I just tried to, uh, to pour into whatever sport it was and make the most of it and, um, and try to compete at the highest level I, I could. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's a great mentality to have in general for anything in life. Um, but you're also, I mean, you're, you're obviously a, a good baseball player. I've seen you play basketball. You can play basketball really well. So, uh, anyway, you played high school sports, right? Growing up, you played a lot of different sports, so talk about the ability to get to Iowa State. You said a really cool thing is that you grew up going to the Iowa State games because your parents you know, were Iowa State grads. Um, and then you have an opportunity to maybe go and be a basketball manager. Talk about how that experience takes shape and why did you want to get into managing and coaching? Well, our, I mean, the ultimate goal was I wanted to play either football, basketball, whatever sport at Iowa state. And like I said, I mean, I was, I was an all district football player, kind of an all conference type basketball player. Baseball ended up being the maybe highest accolades I had, but it was after any time where I could capitalize that on any sort of college thing. I did, I did look at smaller colleges to play football and and things like that. But I just initially I had a I had a, a a peer that was older one year older than me who was a basketball manager um, the year before me so it just I was going to games I was seeing what he was doing so I think there was a natural uh, enticement there I was watching every single game knew everything forward and backwards about the Iowa State basketball team so would have preferred to play but that was that was my avenue that was my avenue to stay involved and like I said I think just you know, having that good senior season just left a taste in my mind. And I, and I even felt it when I was a manager that first year. I mean, I came in with Marcus Pfizer. He was a freshman. We had a great freshman class. And even in, as part of a manager deal, I was kind of, I don't know, thrown into some drills to, to compete a little bit against those guys. And I, I mean, I don't, you know, you're, you think you're closer than you are, but it just, it just felt like I had something left to prove maybe athletically before I wanted to go to this coaching path. I knew I was going to be a coach. I knew it was a, it was a very difficult day for me to, to tell the Iowa state staff when I wasn't going to be a manager, because I just, I knew that that's ultimately what I wanted to do, but I just felt like there was something left that I needed to explore to see if I could play. And, like I said, I tried out, didn't make the Iowa State team, and 
when I was asked to be out, be on the team, it was, I mean, it was a huge, huge thing for myself, for my family, just because uh, I got to put on an Iowa State uniform. And I, I, I kind of feel like I'm the, the moonlight gram of <laughs> Iowa State baseball in a way. I had, I had only one at bat my whole career, and, but it was back against Northern Iowa in my hometown. And I walked and scored a run. Uh, I made my debut as a pinch runner against Iowa. So again, you're like, like those two nostalgia wise, you couldn't really top those two. So um, would I have liked it to be, I had one more year of eligibility. Would I have liked to play one more year and, and done all that? Yes. But I mean, at the end of the day, I also, um, I felt very fortunate to, to have the path that I had as, as, you know, up and down and twist and turn as it was, um, you know, I felt very fortunate uh, to get to be in the position I was. And like, like you said, getting to compete for Iowa state. Um, I know it was a big deal for my family and, and it was a big deal for me. You grow up and you watch, you know, those uniforms and you grow up in Iowa, there's not the pro pro teams. So those are your, your big <laughs> superstars. You know, you get to see Michael Jordan on TV. You're not going to see Michael Jordan, but if you go to an Iowa state football game, you might, go to the spring game and you might see those guys and you might actually get their autograph or something like that. And for someone from Iowa, that's a big, big deal. So, um, I mean, shoot, I'm, I'm, I'm at Nebraska now. And one of the best Nebraska football players was a guy named Trev Alberts, who was just named our athletic director, who went to my high school and went graduated with my brother. So like for me as a 10, 12 year old, Trev Alberts went from my high school to playing huge college football at Nebraska. And when you, whether he knew me or not at the time, you felt like you knew him. So like, yeah. those are, those are big, big deals for you too. So like I said, that's, that's, that's my example of why the getting to compete for Iowa state, even though it was short was, was a cool deal for me because I, I didn't, you know, I, I, I all, I talked about glass ceilings and, and we'll talk a little bit, I'm sure as we get into my coaching career, but like I've never put glass ceilings on myself either. And I've as crazy as it is, I probably have not been a big goals person. Like I've never wanted to put that on me. I, I, I had enough belief in myself to know that like, look, I'm going to attack each and every day. Uh, with the mentality that like, this is, <laughs> this is where I'm at in my career. This is my, I'm going to make the main thing, the main thing. And, and I'm just going to, I'm going to exhaust all my resources into today trying to get better. And from there, let the doors open from there because there's going to be successes and failures. And I don't want to get off the beaten path and I might have to learn some lessons. And more importantly, why would I what if I put a goal on there and I exceed it? What am I going to do? Stop at the goal? So like I said, I don't, I don't know how or why that was instilled in me. And I, and I know a lot of people are very good at goals and understand goals. And in some ways, I'm a heavy goals person. But I've never been the type that said, I have to do this. I have to put on an Iowa State uniform. Or I have to do this. I have to coach for the Bulls. I just... Have been wherever my feet are at, just making the most of that situation and, and letting the doors open from there. Or, and if doors close, dealing with the adversity from there. Mm -hmm. And that's so great. I want to touch back on. I heard a story about you whenever you were in high school, where you went to a, maybe a prep camp for basketball, 
and you had a chance, I guess you were, you were competing at a high level, you're playing hard. And I think maybe coach Floyd pulled you over, talked about, we'd love to have you as a manager. And obviously he doesn't do that unless you're working hard, you're doing something, you have something different about you. And so you're always doing this, not just now where you are, but it's been consistent throughout your life. You're working hard at whatever spot that you're in and it's allowing you to continue to advance, even though it may not be like a goal that you have to achieve. That's what elevates you is because your work ethic, your mentality, uh, your, I mean, in my opinion, your ability to treat people the right way. So all these things add up and it's, it's kind of like that flywheel example where things over time, they just can build and build and build. And that's obviously why it's called building excellence on the podcast. But anyway, so you have an opportunity, you get involved with the basketball program, you get to play baseball, um, and obviously shut the, shut the Iowa state baseball program down. So <laughs> a really cool experience, as you mentioned, you get to have kind of that full circle moment. Well, whenever you got out of college, like, yeah, I think you went into high school coaching. How did that come about? And then obviously tell us about how you got into college coaching from there. I'm going to kill your podcast because these are all, these are great questions, but they, <laughs> I, I, I have a tendency to get long winded. So no, no, you're good. I mean, it, it's crazy how, 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 dots and doors have opened throughout I do, I do want to circle back like so your coach Floyd the I mean I I do believe this and I know this goes into your your podcast and your vision too like to me you're always interviewing so like like I'm not the type like I didn't know coach Floyd was watching me when he was watching me during that game I mean I, I knew he was around I knew he could be but like I I've tried to pride myself on not operating differently because of a circumstance. Like, I, I mean, if I'm dealing with a high school kid or if I'm dealing with a college kid, if I'm dealing with a pro kid, if I'm dealing with a, a fifth grader, uh, I think you saw this in my time running camp, like I'm going to treat that like it's the most important thing and I'm going to give it everything I have and, and, and put my focus into it. I'm not one of those, you turn the light on if I get this role or I get this situation, or if this person's watching me, I'm not very good at that. Like to me, I want to be authentic. I want to bring it and I want to be present. And I think that's, that's, that's helped me in my, my career. It obviously helped me in my playing career too, as well. So I'm, I'm glad you hit on the, the Tim Floyd story because that's, that's essentially how it came out. Now I knew at an early age, I was going to have eyes on me because I have one hand but like, to me, it was like, I couldn't have a bad day then. Like, forget Tim Floyd. I'm in sixth grade. Like there's some sixth grader from another school that wants to play basketball that has some preconceived notion about someone who has a physical difference. Like I can't be off today. I can't fit a stereotype. I can't be mopey. I can't get in my own feelings about that because this person that I'm going against, because I, I dealt with it. That was, you know, I dealt with, you know, stereotypes prejudices, what, however you want to, people who didn't know, people staring at me, people saying what's wrong with him, people thinking that there was something wrong with me just because it was something new or different. So like I knew that I had eyes on me from an early age and I might have one chance to really make the, the, the proper impression or at least the impression that I wanted to make. So with that, I put a lot of pressure on myself because I knew <laughs> I had that one shot mentality. So um, just interesting that you bring that up and I, and I appreciate you bringing that up. So, um, question of how I get to college coaching. So my, my playing and my coaching kind of ran parallel. So 
that after my first year of, uh, of going to school at Iowa state in the fall for a few months, I was a manager. I stopped doing that. I stayed as a student in Iowa state. So that summer I actually jumped into my, my baseball coaching career right away. I, I, I was an assistant freshman coach at Cedar Falls high school as an 18 year old after my freshman year, because once, once again, I said, summertime is you can, that's when baseball is. So after I was done at Ames in the spring semester, I'd go home to, to Cedar Falls. And that was my summer job. I was assistant freshman coach. I was groundskeeper. <laughs> and then for me on the side, I was, that's, that's how I was going to utilize the facilities as a batting cage and stuff like that to keep uh -huh. working my games. So that whole summer, I, you know, I was an assistant coach, but also kind of working out at the same time too, with the idea I was going to try out for Iowa state in the fall. So don't make the team, but I still go back the next summer. Now I'm assistant sophomore coach. Uh, while I'm doing that, I'm playing in this wooden bat league as well. Uh, just kind of a semi-pro league, a lot of small college, former players, stuff like that are playing in that. So once again, I'm kind of playing and coaching uh, uh, at the same time. Year three, so uh, my junior year, once again, now I, now I get asked to go to my alma mater to be the head coach at my high school. I purposely, those first two years, didn't want to be there right away because, I mean, shoot, I'm one year older than those kids yeah. and it was a smaller school. So I needed the separation to go to a different school first two years. So the third year, uh, the AD, who was my high school basketball coach, said, hey, do you, you know, head coach and jobs open, like do it. And I'm 21 years old, 20 years old. 20, I think it was 20 or 21 where I, and I'm the head baseball coach at my high school. So, so you're I, pretty like, old. Yeah. You're pretty yeah, old. <laughs> so, yeah. No. So the, the, like the, the guys that were freshmen, I was seniors. So like you have teammates now Yeah, uh, that you're and that was a big deal for me. It's like, no, you're not going to call me Nate. You're going to call me <laughs> coach, coach Lenzer. I just thought there was, there was some lines that I needed to draw and probably went overboard on it, but I just felt like, Ooh, I knew to get the respect from them and that I needed to, to teach and coach and stay present and, and do what was best for them. I needed to draw those lines right away. And I thought that was important. And even though I was young in my career, just like anything, I wanted to provide the best experience for them. And, and I wasn't going to let my age or um, prior feelings get in the way of that. So do that. Um, and then the next year the head basketball job becomes open as well. So now at age 21, I'm the head basketball coach and the, the head varsity coach and the head basketball and head varsity baseball coach at my alma mater. And, and I'm in my last year of, of, of school at Iowa state and I have to student teach. So, uh, and, and actually I was kind of torqued at Iowa state because they wouldn't let me student teach back at Cedar falls. So in the fall, <laughs> I was at Ames for the first eight weeks, did my elementary deal, went back to Cedar Falls, coached the basketball season. <laughs> then in the spring, went back to Ames and did my secondary PE uh, student oh, teaching. And then went back in the summer uh, to Cedar Falls and was was baseball coach. So a lot of drive time then. Yeah. A lot of drive. And luckily, I mean, it was where my parents live, but I'm thinking, geez, this is an hour and a half away. I mean, it would have been very simple for, in my mind, for Iowa State to just say, do all your student teaching in Cedar yeah, Falls yeah. and 
but anyways, so, but that was the type of sacrifices that you make and all that to make it work. Well, so the school I was at, my high school, NU High School in Cedar Falls uh, was a lab school for the University of Northern Iowa, uh, which is a teaching school. And they were having some budget issues and they weren't sure if they were gonna even keep our school open. So I graduate from Iowa State. I'm a head varsity baseball and basketball coach. It makes a lot of sense for me to go to NU High and start my teaching career, which they were gonna give me like a full-time sub job, but there was a lot lingering about whether the school is even gonna stay open. So I actually stopped coaching there and then got an elementary PE job at Ames. And from that, um, I, was a, I went from head varsity coach to the freshman basketball coach at Ames High School, which is a big, big high school in the state of Iowa. Um, and as the freshman coach, and this is all going to tie in in a second here, the, one of the players that was on my, my team was a kid named Josh Barnes, and his dad was Steve Barnes. Steve Barnes was the associate head coach for Larry Eustachie, who was a head basketball coach at Iowa State at the time. So Coach Barnes was coming to my practices to watch his son. He invited me to a bunch of Iowa State practices and whenever I could and really kind of said, hey, we're probably going to have something open. You should be a GA for us. And I'm thinking, well, shoot, if I'm going to be a coach at Iowa State, <laughs> this is better than the manager thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is great. So and then I'll never forget at the end of the season, uh, I was ready to go in and kind of tell them I was interested in it. And Coach Eustace got in a little bit of trouble back in 2001 or whatever and, and was fired as the Iowa State coach. So I stayed Ames another year. I go to a different elementary school, and this will come in later in my path. But at this elementary school, there's a sixth grade teacher in her last year of teaching, and it's Karen Hoiberg, who's Fred Hoiberg's mom. So I heard <laughs> how, how I have weaved into different people I've known, but to how I got into college coaching was, so this Steve Barnes was coming to my practice. Well, a year later, they were out a year, they get the job at the University of Southern Mississippi. And when they get the job, I call Coach Barnes and just said, look, I don't know if you have anything on your staff or not, but I know we had talked about me maybe joining at Iowa State. If there is anything, let me know. Because I think there was a seed that was definitely planted in me that, hey, I mean, as you know, to get college opportunities are very, very difficult. And, um, and you have to go on any sort of lead that you can get. And then, and then there's no, <laughs> there's no manual for it either. And you just, you, you have to be ready to jump at those opportunities. And so I called coach Barnes and he said, well, Larry's in his, at his house now still in Ames. He hasn't even got down to Hattiesburg, go to his door and knock on the door. <laughs> so, and I don't know if he gave him any sort of prep or not within that, but I did. Uh, he had his RV parked in the, in the driveway and we went out to his RV and that's where my interview was at in the RV in, in, in the RV. And I had met coach Eustacia a time or two. I had actually student taught his son. Um, but I didn't know him like I knew coach Barnes and essentially said, are you married? Do you have any kids? I said, no, he goes, I don't have a job for you, but if you want to come down, um, we'll see if we can make something work. <laughs> So that's how we started. And that's, that was around Easter of 2004. And I kind of helped him from afar, put together a camp in the Des Moines area for recovering alcoholic stuff. And then in June, um, 
I went down to uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, sight unseen with no real job. Tell my parents that I'm leaving a good PE job and um, would have been would have been the head high school coach at Ames High. Uh, Harrison Barnes was a sixth grader at the time. Um, we had three, six, nine kids starting at Ames. I didn't know uh, <laughs> it was going to be the player was Doug McDermott hadn't moved into the district yet, but I was pretty, pretty set on trying to try the college route. And, uh, I can't imagine once again, my parents being like, what are you doing? You know, you're leaving a good job at an early age and they're asking me now, what are you doing? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> And where are you going? Yeah, I think it's called this. And uh, but yet, once again, being the supporters that they were, they they allowed me to do that, and it was one of the best things I did. I went down sight unseen at the age of 25, and within two weeks, I was running uh, Coach Eustace's basketball camp. And then in the fall, he hired me as a director of ops in August, making 14,000 a year. I thought it was awesome because I thought I was going to make zero. I, the way I had it calculated, I could make it to December, and if I couldn't didn't have anything by then I was going to be be a waiter or something like that on the on the side but that so that was a huge blessing and then we had one of our assistants um actually quit uh in December and so coach Eustace actually moved me up so in December I'm one of the three assistants in an interim role and the first game I coached was against LSU and we beat big baby and Brandon, uh, big baby, Glenn Davis and Brandon Bass. And Tyus Thomas, was that he on that team? Uh, too? He was not, not yet. there yet. It was Tack Minor, but he was, that was the good, next. Good team. Yeah, good team. Yep. And then all the way to where that spring, Coach Barnes was out recruiting. Coach Eustace got tossed out of a game. And I was actually the head coach for Southern Miss for 12 minutes of a game uh, <laughs> at the age of 25. And the year before, I was an assistant varsity coach at Ames. So, you know, life can kind of come at you fast. And so that's, that's how I got to college. Like I said, there was a lot of twists and turns to it, but I think it goes back into, again, like if I was trying to get that Southern Miss job, just going right into coach Eustace's RV and getting it right then and there, I, I don't, I don't think I would have been allowed to, but if I wouldn't have treated his son the right way when I was student teaching, if I wouldn't have treated coach Barnes's son the right way, if I would have not been on my game when coach Barnes was going to practices when it came to that point where I, you know, <laughs> there's an opportunity then I wouldn't have been on the radar, but at least if I was me and they saw me in my authentic way that way, when it came time to, because it's different kind of from afar thinking, Oh, this is a good person. This is someone I'd think I would hire, or I'd like to hire, I'd like to work with, or you kind of jive with, there's a difference between that. So now all of a sudden you're the head coach or it's your team. It's, it's your, it's your, your record. <laughs> it's your livelihood. That's on the line. I mean, that's mm -hmm. different. There's a difference. Like I have a lot of people that I've come into contact with that I think are great people. But now when it comes time to you're running your program and you have to make decisions as to who's really, really going to be helping you succeed and helping your family succeed, well, that selection process narrows really quick, as you, as you know, and if, if you've ever been in those situations. So um, once again, I've always tried to be the type of person that I'd want to hire myself. And I think if you operate that way, then if there is a fit and there is an opportunity, then I think it's easier to, to, to transition that way. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing, you know, you talk about, you take basically a leap of faith to go down to, to Hattiesburg, but 
in a sense, you're taking a big risk, but at the same time, you're taking that risk because you have confidence that you have these relationships that you built. That's the one thing that I think about when you talk about these experiences, you're developing these relationships with all these different people, but you're working hard in the process. You're being authentic to who you are. You're not trying to be somebody else and you're treating people the right way. And so you have these relationships that people that have gotten to know you, whether it's been from afar or, or somewhat uh, close, you've had this uh, ability of, of this uh, trust, essentially, that's been developed over that. And so you get an opportunity to go down there, and then obviously it kind of gets your, your career into college athletics. Um, and then obviously, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, it's kind of cliche-ish, but, like, if, if you truly, like, are – authentic with yourself and can look yourself in a mirror and say, you know, I did give it my all. I gave it my best, you know, or did, as opposed to lip service of, I gave it my best, but really, did you, did you cut corners? Did you do that? Did you, you know, were there situations that you kind of skirted by? Did you, were you different when people were looking as opposed to not looking and all that? Like if you, if you truly are self-assessing yourself and, and, and are, like for me, maybe to an extreme, maybe too hard on myself at times, but had that bar so high. Like, for example, for me going down and working for a guy, Larry Eustace, was pretty notorious for being a guy that's hard to work with. I didn't, I didn't have those issues with him. I really didn't. I, and he, and he didn't have to, <laughs> I mean, he, I think he even found out like uh, how, 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 what made me tick and how it made it tick. And it wasn't like a, he didn't need to jump me to get me going. You know, he was, it was pretty clear. You could tell me what to do and I was going to do it. And that's the end of the day. I think people that are maybe notorious for that or, you know, whatever that are difficult. Well, people don't like to be held accountable. I think that's the one thing is, I mean, they don't like to be, I don't like to be told what to do and I don't like to be yelled at and I don't. So, and I, and that's okay. And I know that about myself, but but I also am going to know enough to like make sure now that I, I'm not going to put myself in those positions <laughs> yeah. to be, to be corrected now. And I'm also man enough to know that if I didn't, didn't perform or if I messed something else up that you, you have to be ready to take your medicine too. And, yeah. and, and that's where the conflict comes in. It's like, no, I, I want to be coached or I, I, you know, I, I want this. Well, now all of a sudden you don't put in everything into it or you make mistakes and then you're told that you made mistakes and you don't want to hear that. <laughs> well, it's not really the mistake. It's, it's, it's how did you handle it? How did you handle the situation? How do you keep it from not happening again? And, and those are the real-time decisions that, especially at least in my world, in the coaching world, in the teaching world, is how do you accelerate that learning process and how do you, you know, do the best you can in a very, very competitive environment uh, going against another team. That's not trying to let you do what you want to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. And in the same sense, also in the coaching environment, a very, there are competitive coaches in there that are, tr you know, when someone's moving up, someone told me this, when someone's moving up, someone's moving down. <laughs> yeah. So like, that's, that, that's tough. And, you know, we talk, culture is a big deal. Um, performance is a big deal and all that. Well, it's hard to develop trust in those type of situations and get everybody pulling in the same direction because it just like with a team, you know, someone's got to have this, this role or this purpose, and it's not always going to be equal. And 
how you deal with that and how you navigate that and still make the most out of you and the position you are, are in, I think really dictates the level of success and the level of contentness you have in the job you're doing. Um, I know I'm kind of spinning into some other directions, but I think, I think you understand where I'm coming from and just that like, Hey, I don't need someone to charge me up. I know how important this is mm -hmm. and you're going to either recognize this or not. And I'm gotten to a point where it's like, Hey, if, if you can't recognize that, then this isn't a fit anyways. Like, trust me, I, 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 I need you to do well if I'm working for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, because then now my family does well. I have a different set of motivation that I had growing up and it's to make sure I stay in this game as long as I can and make sure that my family's taken care of. And, and that's important and building the relationships that I'm with and, and helping people. That's, that's why I coach and that's why I do things. And that's, that's a little of, I think how I've gotten to where I'm at um, yeah. in this profession. Absolutely. And you know, the one thing too, is you talk about being hard on yourself. Do you think that if you weren't hard on yourself, would you have gotten to where you are today? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I, I really don't. I, that's why I, you know, people will say, man, you're born with one hand or, you know, that must be rough or that must be tough. I don't know. I've never had it any other way. I know that this is how I was made and this is who I am. And uh, once again, if it, if it led me to make sure that I had this work ethic of proving people wrong and, <laughs> and making the most of my abilities, then that's a blessing rather than having that hand. Uh, maybe if I would have had the hand, I wouldn't have this type of mentality. So that's, that's how I look at it, or that's how I mm -hmm. choose to look at it too. And, um, and I think that's, that's, that's how I try to operate. And I obviously I'm not competing um, to compete uh, for myself or my career, but now my competing is about look, if, if it's this player X and they've got this window, how do I maximize that? And mm -hmm. how am I on and how do I reach, help this person reach their whatever potential and maximize that for whatever window I have. And that's the level of focus I'm going to have. I, I, it's again, cliche ish. Don't waste my time. I won't waste yours. I'm not going to micromanage you outside of um, what's going on. We can talk about things if, if need be, but if look, if I've got 45 minutes today with you on the court to get you better, then I'm going to treat it just like if I was in your shoes, what would I do <laughs> and yeah. how can I help you get there? And that's just, that's just how I've, I've tried to look at situations. Same with, same with if it comes to Fred and he wants a suggestion, look, man, I'm not sitting in your shoes. I have been a head coach. I've not been at that, but I've been a head coach in the G league. I, I, I really try to walk that line of not just giving um, opinions, but decisions. Now, ultimately he gets the choice to make those decisions, but I don't bring him things that I would not feel comfortable doing if I wasn't sitting in his seat if that makes sense mm -hmm. and trying to operate like a head coach and trying to understand that I can't just flippantly throw something out there yeah. because that could be a trickle down of, well, this player has expected this and comes from this way. And what is that domino? So that way, if I get an opportunity to be a head coach again, that's how I'm thinking like, Hey, Oh, this is a tough one here. 
You know, this is a tough because right now someone's going to not be happy with this, but how do we, how do we, how do we make the decision? How do we counterattack the the fallout that's going to happen and make sure that ultimately we do what's best for the team. And that's how I try to give Fred even now any, any, any input that I give him. I don't want to waste his time. He's getting hit by bullets, right, left, all over media, boosters, players, AU, coaches, managing all these things. So like, I, I don't want, I don't want to bring what I, you know, the, what are the big rocks versus the small rocks and yeah. making sure that, that I'm really helping him rather than tripping him up and wasting his time, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I've heard you say it best before talk about being an assistant, your job is to assist the head coach, but you just talked about how you process decision-making and you allow, you know, your job, what you're in to try to help elevate your head coach or the people around you, whatever profession you're in, trying to help elevate the people that are above you and give them a valuable feedback so that you're not wasting their time as well. And I really, going back to also what you said before too, it's it comes down to maximizing <clears throat> the abilities and the gifts and the talents that we have uniquely and individually. Like w- not everyone's the same, but if you go about maximizing and, and doing the best of what you're capable of every single day, good things are going to happen eventually. And it's just about trying to help other people, assist them. Uh, you know, time management's big, which I'm sure we'll talk about too. And, and anyway, I don't want to get too far off off a little bit, but I want to talk back in your career. You go from Southern Miss and then you go on and uh, did you get back into high school from being at Southern Mills? Yeah, real quick? I, spent, I spent six years at Southern Miss and it was, and I, and I, I went very hard and I went and I, and I, I worked very, very hard. And I, I felt like I needed a little bit of a reboot in my career. Uh, I did want to be a head coach at that stage of the matter, I think, but I think it was just as much as anything I, I'll be the first to admit, I created even an identity of work, work, work that I was also, I didn't love the person I was turning into. And I think it's important to know that about yourself too. And I, and it was a lesson I I had to learn, like you, you can work hard, but you can also work smart. I also felt like I was not present with all the people that I, that were important to me and got so driven and so into uh, being maybe that 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 really good assistant coach or really that person for coach you station all that that i i felt like i just didn't feel like my balance was completely in order the way i wanted it to be and i wasn't the way it wasn't turning into the person that i wanted to be if that makes sense and i mm-hmm. saw the path i was on it was a successful path it was a good path and I enjoyed my six years there, but I just, there was, there was just a little bit of, I, I just didn't, I didn't love the person I was turning into and got an opportunity to kind of reboot. Thought I was just going to go and be a high school coach up in Northwest Iowa and kind of settle down a little bit and all that. But I, I, I met my wife up there. It was great, but I uh, spent three years up there and, and the, the, the coaching was okay basketball wise I got my maybe my best things I got was from from being an assistant football coach (laughs) and working with an exceptional leader up there Uh, had a great run with him Um, 
And uh, it just gave myself maybe a chance to just kind of collect my, get out of my bubble. I went to a lot of college practices. I went to, I watched a lot of videos just to, I was very ingrained in what we were doing at Southern Miss. I just wanted to see maybe a broader sense of it, of basketball and coaching. And, and then, and that's, like I said, met my wife up there, which was a huge blessing, but, but then got the opportunity to go with, with Fred at Iowa state um, in his last two years at Iowa state actually went back as a 34 year old GA um, to Iowa state with six years of division one coaching experience. So, um, but I also was, I mean, those are, those are tough jobs to get. What people don't realize is getting, getting your foot back in the door and, and, and being, and having a spot, those are hard. It's very competitive. And even though, yes, I was just a, you know, in conference USA as an assistant, I mean, I was in high, I was now in high school for a couple of years. So even though I hadn't changed yeah. <laughs> that much, um, you know, when the polo's different, when the, <laughs> the status is different. I think there's, you know, there's that human element too of, you know, it's just, it's just different. So had to really, in my opinion, probably go into a situation that maybe I was overqualified for, maybe not. I don't know. It doesn't matter. All I know is I went into that knowing that I was going to work with a good person. Obviously at Iowa state was going to be a good thrill for me. And I just felt like the situation was good and the timing was good. I had a heavy defensive background with my time with Southern Miss, but it was very pedestrian offensively. Fred at the time, I mean, offensive genius, right? Innovator, college basketball, as this time at Iowa State was off the charts and really was, you know, one of the first to invert the offense, um, was just doing great, great things, was taking a lot of his pro, pro stuff and putting it into the college game and I uh, just felt like it was a great opportunity to get on board with him and, and, and just felt very fortunate to spend those two years with him. And then got to go to the bulls with him from there. Yeah. And that's ultimately where I had met you. We had talked a little bit before it was uh, the summer 2014. Uh, I got the chance to work camp because of, you know, really you and, and whatnot. And, and so um, the first day at camp coach Hoiberg got the bulls job you know, it's, it's crazy over there. And then all of a sudden at the end of camp, coach Prom comes in and then you wound up obviously getting a chance to go with the bulls. What was that experience like? Uh, Cause did you start, what was the position you started in with the bulls? Yeah, there's again, a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. Um, get to be the high, high, high school coach at my alma mater, get to be a college coach at Iowa state <laughs> at the school of my dreams growing up, you know, from my parents and all that. Um, I was a GA the first year, which was a great position for me because it actually allowed me to do a lot of workouts with, with the guys and the players and, and it fit me well, moved up to player development, which was a bump and pay and a title, maybe more prestige, but for NC2A rules, couldn't do as much with the players. So I had to kind of navigate, uh, my niche a little differently that, that year, which was tough. I did, I did, I mean, two of my toughest years in college were one year when I was a ops at Southern Miss and then also um, that director of player development because I do I will do all the stuff that it takes but I still love to be on the floor teaching and when you can't be on the floor teaching it's tough so um, but there was a lot going in you know uh, Coach Hoiberg had just uh, come off of open heart surgery Um, 
I had been actually on the road recruiting for two weeks because he was off. So that was kind of cool to get back out on the road recruiting. Obviously we're getting ready for camps. I had a heavy, heavy role when it came to camps from running it to hiring coaches to all of it. And Fred, Fred loved camps. I mean, he's, he's unique in that way. He's always kind of like camp. So he wanted camps to go well. And so that was a, you know, a big deal for me. Um, but, you know, as things were kind of starting to shift, there was going to be this, okay, who's going to get the Iowa State job? Is it going to be TJ Otzelberger, who's now the head Iowa State basketball coach, who had just got hired as an assistant? Is it going to be someone outside the building? Is it is Fred going to go to the Bulls? Is Fred going to take you to the Bulls? Are you going to be able to stay? If you even get a stay, can you stay? I mean, so and it's, you've got all these things. And we were really good. We had some good, good players going really on. Really good, yeah. You know, and, and good players coming back. So there's this layer of, you know, I, I didn't get caught in it, but there was a little jockeying of, okay, I'm going to make sure these players are close to me so that way I get a stay, which yeah. happens in a transition too. And it was like, I mean – I just probably lasered into what I was supposed to do, which was camp and all that, and let all the, the other stuff take care of itself. And ultimately, Fred said, hey, I don't know what's going to happen here. There's probably a chance you can stay. Uh, but if I can get you along, would you like to come with me to the Bulls? And I, and I was kind of prepared for it because I had actually talked to my wife about it. I'm like, hey, he hasn't said it yet, but I could see this happening. How do you feel? Because this is a difference that you see that I now have as opposed to 25-year-old Nate who could just pick up and go to Hattiesburg. Like now yeah. you have a wife and you have a baby on the way. And so like there's other factors. So uh, it's still, <laughs> still probably not ideal to jump, but at least you want to have some level of cosign, which my wife has been phenomenal at and she's, she's understood better and better with all this it's hard to explain the unexplainable is the way i describe it you know it's it's hard to be a coach it's 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 i can't imagine what it's like to be that spouse and now as i look at it those kids because um it's tough and it's and it's 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 factors that are weigh on me to this day but anyways fred Fred asked me and I, and I, I was ready for it. And I just, without hesitation, I said that if you want, if you have a spot for me, I want to come with you, which was tough only from a standpoint of if it was Iowa state, it was, <laughs> I mean, there wouldn't have been that tied to it. I mean, I had a great time going out on Hilton every day, but again, I, I still had, what was crazy. It was, I knew it was going to be the bulls. Well, now I'm going to get the opportunity if I go with him to now go to the Bulls, which I told you, Michael Jordan, I told you you grew up in Iowa in the 90s, who isn't a Bulls fan? So, And my dad's yeah. from Illinois. He's a Bears, Bulls, Cubs guy. That's who I grew up for sports-wise. So now, I mean, who at the <laughs> – who gets the trifecta? Yeah, you know? high school, college, and pro now. Yes. So, I mean, it's pretty wild um, how those doors would open. And that's my point, too. Like, if I would have set out on this journey as a – assistant baseball coach at Cedar Falls High School at 18 with the idea that I had to be I probably then I would have said man if I'm a head high school coach I would be that's all that I need to be you know but you know these those doors opened and, and I got a chance to to do those things and Fred ultimately came back and said here's the job I've got it you know all I have is a video spot you know 
do you want to take it? And I said, absolutely. And what's cool about the NBA is that there is no restrictions as far as what coaches with them and what that, I mean, ultimately now it's up to Fred and how he determines what he's going to do. So yes, I was going to do video. Did I really want to do video at that stage of my career? No, but for me to get the opportunity to be a part of the bulls to get to do what I do. And I mean, now you're out there assisting with workouts with Derek Rose and Jimmy Butler and Pau Gasol and Joe Kim Noah and Taj Gibson and Doug McDermott and all the list of whatever. And you're going on that path. So that's ultimately how I got to the bulls and Fred's deal was you can come with me, but you got to finish off these camps, (laughs) (laughs) which, which I did. And so I went from running camps at Iowa state in June to I'm July, whatever I'm in, uh, Chicago. My wife is very pregnant back home and I'm kind of bouncing back and forth. I go out to summer league. I coach one game and I could just tell my wife talking a little different on the phone. And I just said, Fred, I need to go back. He goes, I didn't want you to come out here in the first place. Get back right away. (laughs) Which is the type of person he is, which is why I, 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 I really, appreciate and respect that that man um got home and within two days and i've got baby number one and then a couple weeks later i'm taking my wife to chicago and that's where we sat for five almost six years and uh and it was a it was a great experience um i was a i was a head video coordinator the first year uh i was a head coach for the windy city bulls in my second year and this again is one of those things where you don't I did not pursue the Windy City Bulls job at all. I helped after the first year. I was helping Fred. I helped him with some of our edits, recruiting Rajon Rondo, Dwayne Wade, those guys. <coughs> and come August, you know, Windy City, the Bulls were going to have a, a D a, at that time a D League team. They were in their inaugural season. I don't think they really, really knew what they were getting into, but a lot of the teams were were doing it and. Um, the uh, the GM who was a former manager at Iowa State who I've known who's in my wedding I ran with him every day in Chicago um, you know he's telling me about the interview process and who they've got coming in with the interview I'm like cool I'm just getting ready for the at that time it was the three alphas because we were gonna have Jimmy Butler D Wade and Rondo never forget it's mid August no thought I'm I'm seeing who they're interviewing and all that and finally my guy on the on one of our morning runs in Chicago just said, well, do you want the job? I'm like, what job? He goes, do you want to be the head coach? Here's what it pays. It's non-negotiable and what it earns. <laughs> if you want it, I think you'd be great for it. And I'm like, well, can I like, like check with Freddie? He's like, yeah, let's, let's whatever, 48 hours, whatever you need. So, let me finish this run. Yeah, let me finish this run. You know, like, I mean, because I, in my mind, I'm like, shoot, is Fred good with this? How's it, you know, all this. It's a complete shift. You know, you get a chance to be with the Bulls. Now you're going to a D-League team. I don't have to move, but it's just like, you know, wow. Like, we missed the playoffs by one game. We're going to be pretty good. I want to be a part of that. This is really cool getting to go to all these arenas, all these places, all this stuff. But, shoot, now I get maybe opportunity to be a head coach. and all this and so i'll never forget within you know six hours i see john paxson who's the president 
and I had already kind of talked to Fred and he's like, Fred's biggest deal was he was fine with it. I could, I know Fred, Fred was like, I want to, how am I going to replace you? So there was a little, his worry (laughs) system, which, which I wasn't worried about because I, I I had someone already in mind that was within our system. We were going to be fine there. And he was, he was great about it, but I just, you know, you just want to make sure you're doing the right thing and Mm -hmm. all that. So anyways, John, John Paxson, who, I mean, that's cool. I mean, you see last dance, all that. I remember when he hit the shot against me, guys, technically my boss too and he's the president and he kind of just says well what's the deal nate are you are you going to take the job or not now keep in mind pax has probably said 30 words to me all year okay <laughs> as as the video guy so i'm a little you know i mean i it was a mutual respect but it wasn't it's just no. i stay in my lane i stay in my lane i do what my job is i'm not here to to do anything other than that that's again that's what i kind of prided myself with and you said, what's the deal? Are you going to take a job? I go, well, I, I just feel like, I mean, I, I want to, but I feel like I believe in you guys and I want to help and I want to get this better. He goes, you're not going to leave us. You're going to help us. He goes, well, do you want to coach? I said, yeah. He said, you need to take this job then. <laughs> and that was, and, and at the time that was like the perfect thing, like for me too, because it did help. I mean, I was going to help the organization in a different way and in a different hat and a different capacity. And, maybe for to a fault it it ended up being a great thing for me in my career because it did allow me to lack of a better term showcase some of my coaching abilities you know um i went there and i coached a record wasn't all that spectacular but it wasn't meant to be we were expansion team we blew Mm -hmm. out the other two expansion teams we were good when we had spencer dinwiddie when spencer dinwiddie got called up to the brooklyn nets we took a dip. <laughs> we, we were good when we had guys on assignment, whether it was Bobby Portis or uh, Denzel Valentine or the seven different random guys we had. And when we didn't, we were an expansion team. And what I was in charge of was when we had guys on assignment, communicating with the front office and giving my input and helping them out. And if they said, play this guy, this amount of play minutes and try and play him at this position and try to get him this, you know, listen to and follow directions and, and, and maybe, and it was tough sometimes, maybe not really. If, I mean, if your assistants are maybe saying, we got to play this guy, we're going to lose the game. No, this is what, this is what I was supposed to do. And so now your record might take a little bit of a hit, but you're doing ultimately what isn't most important for the franchise. Does it matter if we make the playoffs or does it matter if Bobby Portis comes down and plays with us, <laughs> gets the boxes checked that he's not getting up with a big club and can go back and ultimately maybe help them somewhere down the line. And for whatever reason, I think I was able to see through some of that and, and really follow that. And I think there was a trust level that was built with the front office. And ultimately that's what led to me going back up with the bulls and being a fourth assistant and getting to now be in charge of players and doing scouts and then actually on, a, on one of my worst days of coaching, when, when Fred was fired, I was actually elevated to an assistant. Now, all of a sudden, in my last year and a half, I'm one of the top 90 assistants in the world that are sitting on a bench for NBA teams. And for a guy who <laughs> didn't even start until he played his senior year of high school basketball and was an all, honorable mention all-conference try-hard guy. So, <laughs> I mean... So pretty darn good yeah. yeah so i mean that's and that's so that's how that kind of all transpired but it was just you know 
that that going to that G League though that year was a huge huge thing probably for me in a lot of ways for my career and just again like maybe even after the Southern Miss thing you know you can be way too aggressive and I see it a lot with coaches uh, and staying in their lane which I'm a I'm, I'm a rule follower and I'm gonna if the coach tells me to do something I'm gonna do it but then there's also you have to there is that level of two being confident and making sure you do the job at hand, which, and, and, and having a little bit of a leap of faith. And I thought I was proud of myself in that situation for doing it because I really, um, I don't think I would have been in the position I was with, with the bulls. If I would have just stayed in that back room in, in that comfort level of just stay being that video guy right from there. Um, so pretty cool experience. And, that's 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 how the Bulls thing all kind of went down. You know, one of the things you talk about going and being the head coach of the G League with the Windy City Bulls is almost in a sense, you're getting this ability to coach in, in so many ways that a lot of other coaches don't have to deal with the issues of making sure that the guys that are coming down on assignment, you're, you're making sure you're playing those and checking the boxes. Like you said, you have all these different guys that are either battling for opportunities to play at the next level or you know maybe they're at the end of their careers trying to get another chance to get back in it. So you have all these different egos or personalities that you're dealing with. And then two, like you said, you still want to compete and win, but at the same time, you're trying to make sure that all these things are taken care of throughout the process of coaching. So it really is a tremendous experience and to be one of, you know, very few amount of coaches in the country that obviously are are coaching the G League is a, you know, is a really cool experience, uh, not only from just a basketball perspective, but from a learning perspective, I'm sure you learned a lot through that time and obviously dealing with uh, some really good players too. Yeah, it was, I mean, my G league experience, uh, I, the best way I can describe it is in one word, fascinating. I mean, it just, it was. And now I, I think again, even to this day, I do it, but even back with Larry Stacey with Fred, those first years, um, I was preparing myself for that moment. I didn't know when that moment was going to happen or occur, but I was doing those daily exercises of what my practice would look like, what I would do, what I would keep, how I would tweak, how I would do that. So, I mean, there was no, I I did feel like I hit the ground running as best as I could, but I mean, there's no, I mean, I used to control what you can control. Um, be organized, stay positive. That's, that's, that's all. Those, those are my three things I had in a 50 game season. I had 27 different players. Yeah. I mean, it was three times throughout the year where I had the same roster three games in a row. It was always changing. It was always moving. So, and, and to your point, like you, your, your G league players are free agents. <laughs> They're trying not even to make the bulls. Yeah. They're trying to, it doesn't matter. So you get, like I said, my best player was Spencer Dinwiddie. He was about to get a three or $60 million deal. And he was making 25,000 for me uh, at the time. He's trying to make it to the league, which he did. And, it, you know, but that's your best player leaves. Now it's over. Like talk about transfer portal. It's going <laughs> on right away. Yeah. Um, Eddie gets called up. Alfonso McKinney is a, is a local tryout kid who had some knee injury was in Luxembourg the year before. And he's been with Golden State and the Lakers. He's been in the NBA the last, you know, four years. So, and but those guys are not. What was crazy is you've got 
those guys, but they're not fighting for even the role that they're performing now. They're fighting to be the 15th man, which is a, which is a hard <laughs> and usually coming from a role where they are the guy. So it's a very hard to, for them to understand it. And then their role can change from night to night because they can go from a primary guy or primary scorer. But all of a sudden, if Denzel Valentine gets sent down, like I told those guys from the front at the beginning, we are owned and operated by the Chicago Bulls. So Denzel Valentine comes down and he's got to play 30 minutes. He's got to play point and he's got to take the, that's what's going to happen. So then from there, you could have had your best a career night the night before. Yeah. And that's completely out of your control. This all of a sudden happens. Now you're coming off the bench or might even be inactive. Mm. So like that was tough. I one of the best, one of the best things I got and that which helped me that year is because I kind of tried to talk to a few different G League coaches. Cause I I had not watched one second of G League basketball before. <laughs> I coached in the G league, which, uh-huh. is, which was baffling to me. I just, I, if I'm in college, I watch college. If I'm in pros, I watch pros. If I'm in high school, I watch high school. I don't really enjoy watching a whole lot of basketball in my own off time because my light goes on <laughs> and it's, I'm going to be already kind of zoned out from what if I'm with my wife or whatever. I mean, I don't want, I don't, I, I don't want to say don't enjoy it, but like if I'm trying to, unplug i'm not putting a basketball game on i'm gonna mm-hmm. watch the cubs i'm gonna watch the bears i'm gonna do something else or or something else. i mean because i have an active mind i think when it comes to it I, I mean maybe i don't but at least that's how i justify it in my own head is that it's pretty active so my point is like i had no idea what i was getting into with the g league and all that but it was it was fascinating it was great i mean i had all the way from like you said, guys who would, and it's an adjustment. Those, those guys are still going. That's their first year professional. They're getting paid to do it. It's a different ball. It's a different line, three point line. It's 48 minutes. And you can, I mean, to your point, I had guys from Tom Walkup who had come just off an NCAA tournament run with Stevin off Austin. And they had just beat West Virginia. It was a great starting his career to Will Bynum, who was 35, yeah. And had already played eight years in the NBA, Cartier Martin. Those guys are on the tail end just trying to get one last chance or crack at it. So I don't it it made me a better coach in a lot of ways. I know it did, and I and I enjoyed it. Um and it was a it was a cool experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then you get to go back and, and be an assistant coach with the Bulls. You know, talk a little bit about your time with the Bulls. You get to be around a lot of really good players. What, in your opinion, separates the best from the the good from the best player wise yeah player wise yeah um well talent talent gets kind of washed out to be honest with you if you're mm-hmm. not good enough it, you're gonna that's that's like a <laughs> that's 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 what people don't understand these guys are really 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 good and even number 450 in the league those are Mm-hmm. exceptional players and there's a lot of great players outside that probably talent wise could could still make it i think uh, so it starts there i think there's a level of professionalism that guys at that level do not get credit for like these guys work on their craft and they do that and then once again if they don't have it it's probably instead of i'm flipping your question into what 
what you have to have. Like, here's yeah. where people separate themselves. If they don't have, if you're not good enough, boom, you're off. It's just, it's, there's going to become a point in time where it's just, if you don't have a transferable skill. It's just, you're either an asset or a liability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, professionalism. Like, if you can't repeat the day to day and if you can't figure out what it, means to really drive some of your own bus to make sure you can perform on a night-to-night basis you're going to eliminate yourself too and i think there's obviously people probably have this perception of these guys either that they go out or they party or da 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 and it's like what, what people don't understand is the one the real ones know how to manage it they know how to do that and the ones that don't make the main thing the main thing <laughs> are out now there might be some exceptional, just like yeah. abilities and outliers, but in general, living fast and doing the other stuff and not doing what you need to, because it's so hard at that level. It really is. So taking care of your body, being able to get the rest, being able to travel, being able to perform, being able to stay consistent, being able to, you know, not get too high with the highs and not get too low with the lows. I think the guys that are able to operate that are the ones that really, really have the careers that go. Um, There's a layer of talent and potential and all that, that maybe in the beginning of their careers can kind of help them dance and skirt through that. But they're ultimately, as you said, like the team that drafts you is going to give you the most opportunities. But what really starts to happen is after you get traded and all that, or it's a new front office, someone else is drafted. Like it's just, it, it becomes a very cutthroat business. And if you don't know how to self-regulate yourself and stay professional, it's very, it's tough. You will be replaced. <laughs> I mean, just, we just had a draft happen and 60 new faces came in. There's still mm-hmm. only 450 places, Yeah. you know, plus the, whatever the, so now it's 450 plus the, that's 15 guaranteed contracts or could be contracts and then you're two ways. So there's a few more, but again, like if 60 are coming in, <laughs> it's, where yeah. are those 60 going out? You know what I mean? So that's why, and even that's why I say too, getting drafted is not enough. That's why they always say the first versus the second round. So, I mean, it's, it's a, uh, understanding good to great and what that is. I mean, that's such a, I have a tough time even really like I get there's elite elite, but like to me, like, if you're up there, <laughs> you're pretty good. <laughs> you're awfully special. So, uh-huh. and, and I've seen it. And like, for me personally, I, I, I loved the opportunity to see pros work. And I watched our guys, I watched other teams, guys and workouts. And it was just, I, people talk egos and money and all that. Like if you really cut through that and you really see how these guys work and operate, you see why they're the are they are the elite and it's it was it was cool it was cool for me to see and i enjoyed it yeah not only does it go with players being at the highest level being in that that profession same with coaches you know it's it's the top so i know you would not say that but about yourself but um definitely the same goes for coaching as well so you have this experience being with the bulls and now you're back at your nebraska um you know, you're getting to, to be there and essentially you guys are, are building that culture that you want to instill and, and kind of doing the things that you've been able to do in different programs and organizations. 
Now, what has that been like as getting to, uh, to be at Nebraska and establishing a culture and being with Coach Hoiberg again? It's been good. It's been good. That's a quick, easy, vanilla way. Uh, the transition has been pretty easy for me on a lot of levels. Um, you know, I, I still think of myself as a coach and I've got some pro coaching now with me. I think, you know, there's always that level of pro coaches can't do college or coach college coaches can't do pros or men's coaches can't do women's and all yeah. that. So I, um, for me, I've, I had been in college for eight years, so that's, it's not like I'm going to a foreign place. Um, so that adjustment is not there. I'm working with a guy I've worked with for six years. So knowing what the boss is saying, what he means, how he operates, <laughs> that was very simple for me personally. Nebraska was a very comfortable place for me. My sister lived here from 95 to 04. I, I applied to three schools, Nebraska being one of them out of high school. Uh, so I've been to Lincoln. I, I watched Trev Alberts. Um, so this is not like it's that adjustment easy, you know. So now you're just dealing with the normal, you know, new newness of a situation. It's downloading the players. It's getting to know the players. It's building those relationships from the ground up, which I love doing. So in in uh, the three months or whatever that I was out of coaching felt like three years. Um, I missed being on the floor. I missed teaching. I missed being in it. I missed having that purpose, that, that, that feeling of even when you know your team's not very good, you know what you're striving for. If mm -hmm. you follow me and if your team is good, you obviously, you know, but there's like, I didn't, you know, I found myself watching a lot of basketball, my time off, but you start reading, rooting for people like players that you've had and other players. So it's, but there is that I could tell with me, there's that element of like, Hey, this is, this is, this is my team. This is my, these are my tools in this toolbox. <laughs> How do we make the most out of this situation and, and, and really dig in and see again, like, what is the purpose? What is instead of just learning to learn, which I took some time to do, but now like, let's streamline it. And how do I get Nebraska better? Mm -hmm. And, and I know for me personally, I've, I've enjoyed that part of it as well in that coaching part. And so, uh, so once again, good, but um, we're still with challenges and still day to day. And there's pros and cons to every situation that you're in. And, and just like anything, I'm trying to be where my feet are at and trying to pour into these guys and, and, and let whatever happens happen from there. Yeah. You know, one thing you had mentioned is that, Coach Hoiberg is a family man. You're a family man. What does it mean to be a good husband and father to your kids? Yeah. Well, I, so Roy Rogers is a guy who I worked with one year with the Bulls and a great man, great human. And he said it best. You only, he said, when it comes to like time, you know, like I've always been a worker and a doer and a goer, but like when it, it's sometimes it's hard to put it down and sometimes there never is a good time to put it down, you know, but you're done with practice. Is it this film? Is it this scout? Is it whatever? And that's important, but like, I'll, ne I'll never forget. We we're in the locker room afterwards and whatever. And somehow it came up. He goes, just remember Nate, you'll never get that time back when it comes to being a, a father. Um, and it's the same when it comes to being a, a husband and all that. And so like for me, finding that balance, finding, finding, 
that fix, which I have that fix when it comes to being a coach and being a teacher and pouring into your players, but also making sure I'm also making the main thing, the main thing. Like I, I, I do have, I am their father, those three girls. So, um, and sometimes that's, that's a tough pill to swallow when you know you would rather be maybe with them, helping them and you know that you need them. Um, but what I do is try to stay as present as I can in those opportunities. And I also like, I, I, what helps me sometimes in stepping back. And even I've told this to my wife, like the end of the day, like working parents always have this, like I have a unique situation when it comes to college coaching, but you know, military people, how do you, I mean, I have a brother-in-law that, you know, is in the military and has to leave his family for six to eight months at a time and has kids too. So that helps me from knowing I, you know, when I'm getting in my own head and my own feelings, like this is ultimately what I need to do to provide for my family as well. And not to lessen the decisions we have to make, but, but also to remind whether it's my wife, that Hey, I, this is not about me choosing <laughs> this over you. This is sure. what I have to do. And, but then it's also goes back on me to make sure that when I have the time and when I am there to be as present as possible. And that was a struggle, especially early in my career is not taking it home with me, not mm. open the laptop up, not, you know, it's been tough. That's, that's been one of the biggest adjustments too. Like in a position when I recruited at Southern Miss, which I've recruited, I didn't have a family. So if I needed to be on the phone or make the call or do whatever, or get the text, there was no, I had two phones, you know, uh, here it's a little, you know, hot. I mean, that's, that's a tough, that's, that's, that's a tough balance. So I'd love to say that, oh, it's great. It's perfect. But that's, that's yeah, it's tough so- when you, you know, your two-year-old's like, you know, but yeah, you got to take this text from this <laughs> recruit or whatever. So like navigating that is, is still an adjustment. And I think I would be lying if I didn't say that it's not something that I continue to strive and work on. But like at the end of the day, like I said, I, I, I feel very blessed and fortunate to have the girls I have in my life. And, and it's always on my mind to make the best decisions and be the best person I can for them. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Well, real quickly, as we wind down, we got a little fire round. So I say okay. like a word, you can finish it off with a word or a sentence okay. and we'll just go right into it. Uh, determination means. Will just, you know, find a way. That's to me, it's finding a way. Um, you, you're, you're, if there are obstacles in life, no matter what. So are you determined to let those obstacles, you know, provide excuses and, and get you to stop or you can, you, are you determined to see if you can find a way. Mm-hmm. Favorite vacation spot. Ooh. I'll just, I'll go with my family. But yeah. Orlando, I like Orlando. 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 My parents had a at a my grandparents had a condo down there, so we actually spent some good time down there. And they have a condo in Orlando. I like awesome. Orlando. Okay. Focus is uh, family and today. Okay. And then favorite basketball experience. I know that's kind of a a broad question. There's well, probably a lot, but yeah, I don't. I don't. I've had multiple, I don't, you know, I don't, I have person. there's, there's so many different, that's hard. Like I, I love, I love right now 
and it's hard to say favorite because it's like saying which is your favorite kid but like sure. david david nawaba got a three-year 15 million dollar contract and i was with him when he was just we when we said we're going to pick him up as a flyer and he might last a week and i was with him his whole first year in the league so spencer dinwiddie gonna get that ryan archie diacono goes from undrafted to signing kind of i mean just things like that but then also um and i can go monte morris you know you look at george niang just got another contract all those things so seeing those those people and those seeds that you've planted just kind of grow are to me are really cool and those those are just nba ones but just mm-hmm. like when i get the phone call about you know father's day or whatever just other other guys that you've impacted throughout mm-hmm. your career those are those are the best ones other than that i on a personal i mean my first game uh, coaching in hilton was big time um driving up every single day to the bulls practice facility was just a it's just a cool thing for an iowa kid to drive through iowa chicago traffic <laughs> and go to you know that bulls logo that was that was pretty cool yeah that's pretty special that's great uh, it all comes down to, you know, it, I'm going to shift. So everything's about hard, 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 working hard. But the word that I love these days is grace, <laughs> hmm. having grace with others, uh, with yourself, all that. I just, I like that word because I don't, I don't think everything is perfect and I don't think people are, are not perfect. So being able to, to humanize and also understand and, and keep moving forward, having that grace with others and yourself, I think is important. Um, and I'm finding that more and more important the longer I coach. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's such a great, great answer right there. Well, uh, we're done with the fire round, but you know, the last two questions are first and foremost, is there a certain piece of best advice you've ever received? You know, I just tried to throw, little tidbits out there that have helped me throughout this i mean mm-hmm. through this thing i don't uh, yeah i'll give you one <laughs> i was i was student teaching in junior high and i had a tough class it was right before lunch and they were just wild they were bouncing off the walls i wanted to be disciplined and all that and i could just and usually like if it was a bad class i would take it as myself or well, my co-op teacher at the time just said Nate, don't ever let a junior high kid ruin your day. <laughs> and, and I've used that in a lot of different other ways too, especially like if people have kind of got sideways with me and it was something out of my hands or what, you know, sometimes it's adults. Sometimes it's people you're working with. Sometimes just don't ever let a, a junior high kid ruin your day. And just that idea of like, you know, don't let people get to you and if it, you're doing good, you're a good person. Don't let it bring you down that type of deal. So that's there, great. I love that. That's awesome. That one. So, yeah. So this podcast is called building excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? Um, making the most of who you are, but, all, and also um, uplifting others to help them uh, reach their own. I, I hate, I don't like this word. I, I actually, uh, my high school graduation, I had a whole speech about this uh, ability versus potential and um, potential to me is a scary word. Um, I would rather have ability 
And then what I'm doing is I'm striving to, you know, capitalize on those abilities, add to those abilities. Um, and I, and I try to do that around the people that are around me too. I think it's easy to say, well, that person has potential maybe late, let them off the hook, <laughs> say they're going to figure out, maybe it's not right sense of urgency. So building excellence to me is about just making the most of your abilities and continuing to grow those and then also grow those with others. Yeah. Coach Leonard, thanks so much for being on the show. You know, you're someone that, uh, you know, I'm very thankful for, but as I look, look at you and got to meet you over the short amount of time that I had, uh, it was very impactful to me. And obviously, as you talk about your story, talk about your upbringing, the situations that you've been in and, and coaching, you know, you made an impact on so many different people. And uh, you know, one thing too, it also goes back to giving back. I think that's one thing, you know, no matter what, I feel like you give back to people, especially whether it be young people trying to get in the game or, or whoever you're around. I know I was a recipient of that. Like you allowed me to come work camp and I got a chance to meet you there, uh, which, you know, it's, you didn't have to do that, but it's something that you're doing not only because you're in the positions you're in, but you're able to give back to, to people. And so that's really important. I just want to, you know, thank you for doing that. So anyway, but thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks again. Well, it's awesome. And like, I mean, people have helped me around the, on this path. So that's why I've always tried to be present and help as well. So thank you so much for your time today and, and good luck to you and your career as well. Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.